Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 169, and we're going to talk about 10 lessons learned from Starry Meadows. That's right, folks. This is going to be a little bit of an unusual episode where it's all about one thing, and it all kind of blends together. But in this episode, we're going to talk about the wonders of a 12-volt heated electric blanket with a small battery, a product review of the WeBoost Drive Sleek that I know a lot of you have been looking at, and a tale from the road involving a simple little flower. Thank you very much for coming back and listening once again, or if this is your first time, well, this is going to be a weird one for you because I just got back from RMSS, which stands for the Rocky Mountain Star Stair. And you know, that kind of tells the whole story. This was staring at the stars in the Rocky Mountains in a privately owned dark sky site called Starry Meadows, somewhere near Gardner, Colorado. Now, if you're familiar with Colorado at all, if you draw a line between Pueblo and Westcliff, I was somewhere in the middle there at about 8,000 feet elevation in the mountains, very, very little around there. And the skies there are very dark because there are no big cities and there's some elevation and Colorado just happens to have good viewing conditions for a dark sky being a very dry place, not that much rain, etc. And so every year, the Colorado Springs Astronomical Society hosts this event and it's open to everybody. You do not have to be a member of the club, although it is fairly affordable to become a member of the club and I recommend that you do that but if you want to go and see some of the darkest skies of your life you are welcome to come to this event called the Rocky Mountain Star Stare which is usually held during the first new moon in June and if you know anything about astronomy or stargazing you know why it's held during the first new moon although some have complained that well june is the month with the least dark sky because it's when the sun sets the latest and rises the earliest but it's also a really pleasant time to be there so it's a little bit of a trade-off anyway when you get to this place what you see is the darkest sky you've probably ever experienced now I have been all over the world. I've been on ships at sea on both sides of the equator, down in the Antarctic. I've been to Helsinki, Finland. I mean, I've been all kinds of places that have dark skies. And I have seen some very dark skies. But this place is, is somehow different. It, it's because that's what you're doing there. You're not focused on anything else and you happen to look up and say, oh, the sky is nice. No, you're sitting out in this open field with 400 of your closest friends looking at the sky and you will see things you probably didn't know were even up there for example for two nights in a row we saw this bright white object streak across the sky and a lot of us have these iss alerts on our phones so we knew it wasn't the iss the international space station no what it was was the chinese space station we could see it very clearly with the unaided eye going across the sky and uh, that's not something i've ever noticed before you can also see satellites and space junk and shooting stars regardless of whether we're in a meteor shower or not and of course the stars i mean most people bring telescopes and some of them are very 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 big and they see basically everything that's ever been seen with visual astronomical activity for example a few years ago my friend bob was able to find charon or Sharon, however you want to pronounce it, the moon of Pluto. 
in his scope. I mean, he actually saw it and he woke someone up to confirm it, but didn't wake the rest of us up. So exactly two people saw this <laughs> and everyone hates them now. No, seriously, this this is a social event, and the reason I get to go to this is because I know some folks, and I have to have some shout-outs here to Hal and Dana, who introduced me to this group, Bob and Linda and Bruce, who I met in this group and have been a very, very kind to me over the years, and I truly appreciate it. And of course, Susie, a singular person who I've had many adventures with and, and hope to have many more adventures with as well. Also, a shout-out to Billy and Breckenridge and Kyle in Fort Collins for inviting me out. Uh, I really wish I could do that. Um, unfortunately, my situation now is that I have limited time to do these trips. And because of all the health concerns earlier in the year, my wife is less comfortable with me being out on the road as long as I used to be. So my trips are shorter, which all things considered is just fine. But it means it's hard for me to alter plans and go meet somebody. So I will be mindful of that in the future. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens because I'll be out there again next year. But I did manage to put together a list of 10 things that are worth talking about from this one trip. And, you know, let's jump right in here now that you know what I'm talking about. First thing is that uh, driving takes a toll. Now, I'm speaking personally here, but I'm pretty sure this is true for a number of you. When you drive these long distances, you get into driving mode. And for me, it, it kind of alters my personality quite a bit, especially when I'm driving uh, alone. After these trips, I find that I have a hard time relating to people. I, I, I've been so focused on just me and where I am and just my needs for so long, like, you know, my radio station and my soda and my vehicle and my lane and, you know, that after I stop, it takes me probably a good half hour to an hour to kind of get back to normal and turn the compassion and empathy knobs back to where they should be. You know, it, it's a little bit of an odd thing, but I think it's good to recognize it. And now I am just aware of it. So when I stop, I tend to do things slowly and just kind of ease in to things. And so knowing this, I actually arranged things on this trip that the first night I didn't actually spend at Starry Meadows. I spent it off in Crestone, which is on the other side of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, which is where this location is. And, uh, you know, I got there and then kind of just chilled out all night. And by the time morning came, I was more or less a normal human being. Well, at least as normal as I ever am. So that's just a good thing to keep in mind that that effect happens. Number two, um, I'm actually fairly proud of myself, if I'm ever proud of myself, for how I handled a certain situation. Ten minutes after I left for this trip, a light came on on the dashboard of my Sprinter, because of course it did. And then when I got to where I was going and turned the engine off and spent the night, when I turned the engine on in the morning, another light came on. In just that one trip, I'd managed to generate two new problems with my van. It's very frustrating. I, as you know, I've spent a lot of money and time on this van, and it would be nice to just have one trip without some engine light going off, but uh, no, this wasn't that trip. On top of that, I have a Renogy 200 amp hour battery that has Wi-Fi connection. It was reporting that it was full and yet at 50% capacity. I mean, it's a year old. Why is that? I don't know. So I had these three things gnawing at me, and I tend to be a very task-oriented person. And in the past, I think it very likely could have been the case that I would have spent the entire time at Starry Meadows trying to fix those problems. But I didn't. Instead, I gave myself some time to work on them, and then after that time was up, 
I wasn't going to care. And I had that luxury because, again, my scanner was able to tell me that these problems were not serious. The first light was for TPMS, which is the tire pressure monitoring system. And because I had the scanner, I was able to get the code. And the code was simply that I had a dead battery in one of my tire pressure monitors. If you have one of these systems, and most modern vehicles do, Inside your tire, there's a little sensor, and it actually has a battery in it, and those can wear out. When you change your tires, the tire installer will actually check that, that battery to make sure it's still good, and then replace it if it needs to be, which I had just had done. So this is kind of annoying that I have this problem, but this, this is not a fatal problem. You can drive the van just fine. I mean, heck, back in the 70s, we didn't have these systems at all, and we did everything. So, okay, annoying, but not terrible. The next light was a glow plug light again. Yes, I've replaced all my glow plugs and some of them twice. And now I have another glow plug light. Glow plugs in diesels are there to help start the engine on cold days. This isn't something I was terribly worried about on this trip. The van started just fine. So again, just another annoyance. And the battery was actually the, the biggest concerning thing. So I called Renogy and had a conversation with them. And they confirmed that if my battery is reading at 14.4 volts, it is full. They could not explain the 50% thing that it was telling me. And instead of spending all this time fiddling on it and trying to reset the BMS, which in my case would have meant depleting the battery entirely and then charging it back up, which is a little bit fraught when you're depending on that battery to support you, I said, I'm going to ignore it. And I did. And I ended up using the battery just as I would normally. I ran the microwave on it. I ran a toaster on it, which I will have a review of in some other episode. And it was just fine. In fact, I had all the power I could want. And, well, that's the point of having a battery. Sometimes you have to take a step back from all the numbers and lights and things and just say, is this doing what I want it to do? If it is, it's okay to leave it alone. And that's where I ended up with that. Number three, I think it's great advice always to be ready for all weather. Now, past experience told me that this would be a hot trip. So I brought lots of shorts and hot weather things. I was concerned about fans. So I had several fans in there and all this. Well, it turns out this wasn't a hot trip. The weather was unseasonably cold and it went down into the high 30s at night. And staying warm was much more of a concern than keeping cool. Fortunately, I was somewhat prepared for that. I had warm clothes in the van. I had long pants. I, and I had ways to heat the van. Just side note, the diesel heater worked perfectly. I love my diesel heater, and uh, I will talk more about that in future episodes. But boy, is it nice to sit up in bed, press a button, and five minutes later have a nice, toasty, warm van. That is really luxurious. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I can ever go back to the old days of like having to make coffee and wait an hour to heat up the van just by moving around. I, I mean, I'm spoiled now. But yeah, no matter what you're doing, uh, plan for both kinds of weather. And, you know, you can focus on one like I did, but, but have some backup stuff. Like, always have a jacket with you. I don't care if you're going to Miami or whatever. Just always bring a jacket. Always bring some long pants. That kind of a thing. Uh, number four, and I kind of knew this, but it kind of played itself out over this long period in the van. Uh, you have to eat strategically on these trips. Now, living in a house, you've got a big freezer and a big fridge and a big cabinets, and, you know, they're all full of stuff. You can kind of be like, eh, what do I feel like eating today? But in a van where you have much less space, you can't really afford to waste food, uh, kind of at all. So every meal is like, what's going to go bad first? 
and then making a meal out of that. Now, I had bananas with me. I had oranges. I had steaks that I was particularly concerned about. I had some leftovers, all these kind of things. So, so every day I opened the fridge and looked and saw, what do I have to eat today? And that's how I planned my meals. And uh, it worked out fine, actually. I didn't end up throwing away any previously edible food, and that's kind of perfect. So you can't really plan your meals that carefully on this kind of a trip. If you have perishables, well, you have to monitor them and eat them good. I Even the bananas. <laughs> I had six bananas, and I ate them all before that last one went bad. So, uh, yeah, that worked really well. Number five, this is the first time I've ever actually had this happen, was um, gray water was a problem. Now, Starry Meadows, they have a no gray water on the ground policy. And if you know anything about Colorado, water is a big issue. And adding 400 people's gray water to the ground would change the ecosystem up there. So I totally respect the policy and agree with it. But I have a five-gallon gray water tank, and I had 10 gallons of water. And, well, you can do the math there. So... By the time I left Starry Meadows and heading home, my gray tank was full, all the way full. I don't think I could have survived another day without moving some of the water around. And uh, I'm not really sure what I would have done. I do carry a couple of gallon containers that are empty with me. And I actually, actually, I had four five-gallon containers that were empty with me on this trip. And I think what I'm going to do in the future is I'm going to carry a collapsible five-gallon container just for this situation so I can swap out gray tanks if I need to. It generally isn't that hard to get rid of gray water, but when you're stationary in a place where you can't get rid of gray water, well, you end up in this situation. So, and I did end up going to a dump station and dumping it out as I left, so no big deal. Number six, you don't have to do what everyone else is doing when you go to one of these things. I don't care what kind of van life thing you're at or when you're with other people, don't feel like you have to do what everyone else is doing. Most people, unsurprisingly, come to these things to look through telescopes and see all these amazing distant objects. I honestly don't enjoy that. I don't like looking through an eyepiece. It's just not my thing. And a lot of people don't understand this and they don't understand why I'm there. But I am there thoroughly enjoying myself, spending time with other people that I like and respect, and also just looking at the sky the way it is. And that is completely fine. And some people actually confided in me that they were the same, but they kind of felt obligated to look through other people's scopes because people spent a lot of money on these scopes and they've done a lot of research and they spent a lot of time finding these really far objects. And you can hear the excitement in their voices and in some of the others who get to see these things. So it kind of seems rude to say, no, thanks. I don't care to look at that. But at the same time, not looking at that is kind of what you should be doing because that's what you enjoy. So, you know, it is okay to say no thank you. Number seven, bring two chairs. <laughs> There's this thing called chair etiquette. Bring two chairs, one for you and one for the person who didn't bring a chair. Because if you don't, you're going to run into that person who didn't bring a chair and you're going to feel awkward. Either they're going to be sitting in your chair and you're not going to have a chair, or you're going to be sitting in your chair noticing how uncomfortable they are not having a chair. So, uh, yeah, Bring two chairs. That helps. Although <laughs> there were times when both of my chairs had people sitting in them that weren't me. And eh, I just waited. Number eight, bring something to share. I was not very good at this. I mean, I had a lot of beer, but everybody I was hanging around with didn't drink 
or brought their own. So that wasn't a great thing to share. The only time I ever shared anything I brought was a block of cheese and crackers. I mean, because that's really all I had. So in the future, I will work a little bit harder at that. But it's just a nice social thing to have something you can share with folks. And oh, I, I did share mandarin oranges with folks. I kind of carried a bag around with me and that worked a little bit. But, you know, have something extra that you can share with other people because people shared stuff with me and I really appreciated it. And it's just kind of a nice social thing. And, you know, that's only eight things, but um, this has taken so long that I'm just going to stop there because I think that is plenty. This was a fun event, and I was thrilled to get out on the road there. And it was pretty much a shakedown cruise for my van, which is now, I would say, 100% functional, although I still have a lot of work to do on it. And yeah, I had some problems, but mostly it was a complete success, and I can't wait to go back next year. Tech Talk. So as I mentioned, it was quite cold at Starry Meadows at night. And of course, that's when the stars come out. And often the stars are best after midnight when it starts to get really cold. And most nights I didn't last that long because, you know, honestly, I'm sitting out there in a lounge chair looking up at the sky and it's absolutely beautiful, but I'm cold. You know, I had every bit of clothing on that I had. I didn't bring like my Antarctica outfit, which I wish I did. But then it occurred to me that I'm like, I have a whole van of stuff. Surely there's something in there I can use to keep warm. And yeah, I brought out my blankets and sleeping bag and that stuff. But then I realized I had the 12 volt electric blanket in there. Now I have talked about this before in some episode a while ago, and I have a link for this and everything else I'm talking about in the show notes, but this particular electric blanket I think is perfect for van life because it's washable. So you definitely want to check out that link and don't buy the cheap 12 volt electric blankets because they're not washable. You, you will have to throw them out. Anyway, I'm out in the field, and weirdly, as it happened, there was electricity out in the field. They, they did a major upgrade since the last time I was there, but I wasn't using any of that. I had my electric blanket, and I was far enough from my van that I had to use my portable battery. Now, I have a Chinese knockoff 500-watt battery, kind of like a Jackery 500, and I thought, well... I'll give it a try. You know, maybe this will work for 20 minutes or half an hour. And if I put a blanket on top of it and yeah, so maybe this will work. Well, to my shock, uh, it worked for hours. I mean, basically I could have stayed out there almost all night with my setup of having my 12 volt electric blanket on my body and then an insulated blanket over that and my 500 watt battery. I ended up having to turn down the electric blanket because it was so warm and it was in the forties probably. And I'm just telling you this, that this works if you are outside or you're in your van and you don't want to use up your main battery, you can power one of these 12 volt electric blankets with a portable battery. Now, if you go way back in my podcast, I kind of poo-pooed this idea because I was sure that electric blankets use too much power for this, but well, no, they don't. This absolutely works. But the secret is to put another blanket over it. That keeps all the heat in there, and uh, boy, you can be toasty warm in the coldest of weather. So check out the links in the show note for this electric blanket. I'm a bigger fan of it now than I was before, and man, the thing just sipped energy. I was very pleased. Oh, and they're on sale for 39 bucks right now, which uh, seems like a lot compared to the really cheap ones, but this one's washable, so it's worth at least two of the other ones. 
product review. I know a lot of you have been waiting for a product review of this, and I've, I finally got a chance to test it out. I bought a WeBoost Drive Sleek. Now, WeBoost is famous for making cell phone extenders or repeaters or however you want to look at it, but these are basically big antennas or bigger antennas that you mount outside your van, and they pick up a cell phone signal and then amplify it so it goes to your phone, and you can turn one bar into three. That's the basic way it works. And I bought one, and um, if you Google this, you'll find out they cost about $500. I got the lowest model, and I realized that because a lot of people don't understand these things, they get returned often because they get returned often. You can get refurbished or reconditioned ones at a bargain price. Typically what these are are ones that people just returned. There's nothing at all wrong with them. They just repackage them and sell them for, you know, 25-30% off. So that's what I got. My WeBoost Drive Sleek was only 169 bucks, and I'll have a link in the show notes. It's from the Amazon Recondition Department. And, uh, well, I have to say, in short, the thing works. Now, the Sleek works specifically for one single device. You have a magnetic antenna you put on the roof, and then a whole bunch of wires. One goes in the 12-volt accessory, the other goes to this connector thing, and then you get a cradle. And it only works with the phone that's in the cradle. So you actually have to put your phone in this cradle. But consistently, it was able to turn one bar into three bars. And almost all the time, that was enough for me to like have normal internet activity. Now, there's, there was a weird little event at Starry Meadows here, which is that cell sites are designed for whatever average internet usage they get. And on this one weekend... 400 people in this field all trying to get internet from a cell phone tower meant that it was possible to get good connectivity to the tower but not have enough bandwidth to share amongst everyone. Um, that's a thing that can happen. That happened a couple times, but I cannot blame that on the WeBoost. That's just how the cell phone networks work. But as far as this thing actually amplifying cell phone signals, it absolutely did work. And the way it's configured is you can mount this to your dashboard and just use it all the time while you're driving. Now, if you spend more money and get the higher models, it'll kind of give you a range, like you could use it inside your van with all your devices instead of just one, and you get a bigger antenna, and the highest levels, you get an aimable antenna, which is going to give you the best service, but they end up, you know, you're starting to get in the $500, $600, $700 range here, but, you know, for $169, I was able to have pretty good internet all week at Starry Meadows, where normally I would have been having to go for a walk up to the top of the hill to get a good signal. Now, folks, this is what a lot of people make the mistake of. If you're getting no bar as a service, this thing isn't going to help you. It doesn't magic internet out of the air. It takes a weak signal and makes it a moderate signal. Never did it make it a strong signal. I mean, there may have been places it turned three bars into five, but it never turned one into five. It's going to give you an average of two extra bars. And normally, three bars is enough to get stuff done. So... If you go way out in the desert where there really is no cell phone signal at all, this thing isn't going to do anything for you. And, well, that's why people return them so much. However, am I glad I have it? Yes. I'm going to not permanently install it. I'm going to keep it in a box in the back of the van and only pull it out when I need it. Because, you know, this day and age, there aren't that many times when I actually find myself without signal. Link in the show notes. That's my experience of it. I like it. I, I think it works. And I think it's great for folks who are traveling the desert southwest who have a weak signal much of the time. Tales 
from the road. So as we're sitting out in this field, and you know, it's a pretty big field. I think they have 35 acres there and there's this main field that's maybe five acres, seven acres. I don't know, I'm, I'm not all that great at guessing acreage. It's barren, there are no trees. It's just this big wide open field on a very slight slope. And you know, this is the desert, the high desert. So there's not a lot of plant growth. I mean, there's grass, but it's spotty. It's very uneven. And as we were setting things up, we noticed this one very perky flower that was sticking up in the field near us. And it was the only one we could see. It's a barren field, one flower sticking up. And it was a white flower. And using our fancy phone apps, we were able to figure out it was a white evening primrose, which is an interesting flower. It's a little bit heliocentric. It'll follow the sun around. And then at night, it closes up and actually becomes purple when during the day it's white. At first, at least me, I'm admiring this thing that's you know, so plucky, it's sticking out in the middle of nothing. And I noticed that a bee would come visit it every once in a while. I was like, you know, it's kind of amazing. This one flower out in the middle of nowhere still manages to attract a bee. And then I was thinking, this thing's in the middle of a field that people are driving on. They're setting up these massive telescopes. And at night, they're just going to be walking around everywhere and they're never going to see this flower. So... I was joking with Bob, we were kind of taking bets on how long the flower would survive this event before it got stomped on, and well, I don't think it occurred to either of us to actually do something about it. And then enter Caitlin. Now, Caitlin was someone I didn't know before this trip, and um, she had driven out there from Wisconsin, and she made it her mission to save this flower. So she got a collapsible orange cone from her rig and set it up right next to the flower, and that pretty much worked. But then she was worried that at night people wouldn't see the cone. So every night she would put a little weak light inside the cone, just enough to light it up, not enough to mess up anyone's night vision. And when I left Starry Meadows after five or six days, that flower was still there. So folks, if you care about something, you don't have to sit passively by and watch what happens. Sometimes you can take action and actually make a difference. <laughs> That's exactly what Caitlin did. A place to visit. All right, well, might as well be Starry Meadows, right? So if this sounds like fun to you, if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, um, I mean, I could talk for hours about the event. It's Rocky Mountain Star Stair is a several day event it usually starts on wednesday and ends on saturday night and at night people look through their telescopes but during the day there are lectures they had a really good food truck in there so you can always get food you don't actually have to cook your own food porta potties everywhere which is how they deal with that and now there's electricity that you can use not for everything but enough to charge your phones and stuff i mean it's it's a really well done event and it's a lot of fun and especially for kids there were 75 kids there this year and just watching them with their paper rocket competition i mean that was fascinating they had this huge crowd cheering them on and some of these rockets were going up a thousand feet it was really a fun, interesting thing to watch. And the lectures can be super interesting. I know a couple of years ago they had a, a guy who walked on the moon and you were able to talk with him and shake his hand and stuff. And this year they had somebody who worked on designing the new probe that's going to Europa in probably, well, I think it's going to take about 10 years for the thing to get there. Uh, you know, you get to meet people that you just don't meet in everyday life. And everybody is very sciencey and kind of nerdy and friendly. And, and it's a very affordable event. 
I, I actually don't remember how much it cost, and I'm too lazy to look it up right now, but it was less than 50 bucks for all this stuff. You get a packet of things, you get a book about star events that are happening for the year, you get a pin, and you get to hang around with some really interesting people. Now, the standard thing is that you should bring your own scope because it's rude of you to impose yourself on other people who've spent all this money and time setting up their scopes, and that makes perfect sense. But in my experience, if you get to know folks and you're not pushy, they'll be happy to let you look through their scope. In fact, some of the old timers who've seen it all would love somebody to come and say, hey, can you show me M53? I've never seen it before. And they will tune it in and show it to you and that'll make their day too. So yeah, if you have any interest at all in this, well, you know, come on down. And you also have times to explore the area. There's a wolf sanctuary 15 minutes away. Bishop's Castle is about an hour. Bishop's Castle is this very strange building. This guy keeps building just out in the desert. And the Great Sand Dunes National Park is, well, it's really close as the crow flies. <laughs> Unfortunately, crows can fly and don't have to drive. For those driving, it's, oh, it's a little over an hour away. But still, there's a national park about an hour away. You can turn this into a whole trip. And at some point, I'll tell you about Crestone Crater. That's a whole other thing. Anyway. Yeah, you should do Rocky Mountain Star Stare. If you're looking for a fun thing to do in June, this event sells out every year. It's not very expensive, and uh, I will have links in the show notes as to how you can find out about it. And if you do come, come see me. I'll be in the ambulance with the big hook waka bang on the side. <laughs> Resource recommendation. Here it is, the one thing that really doesn't have anything to do with my recent trip to Starry Meadows. When I got home, I caught up on some YouTube videos because, honestly, even though I had internet connectivity, I was busy all the day and I was tired and I didn't watch much stuff, which is good. You know, that's kind of what you want from a trip. So I got home, started to catch up on things, and I caught up on Foresty Forest. Foresty Forest is this guy who hikes mountains every day and uh, with his little dog Rocco and lives in a van and spends most of his time in Canada, although he visits the U.S. every once in a while. Anyway, he's, he's a very interesting guy, clearly an introvert, but also very introspective and, and very open. He'll share his experiences, and he just came out with a video called, Is This the Secret to Long-Term Van Life? If you are interested in long-term van life, you know, measured in weeks at least, if not years, this is a great video to watch because he's lived in his van for years now. And he talks a lot about being disconnected from society, being self-reliant, how time kind of disappears, all those kind of things. It's a really good introduction to some of the non-obvious things you're going to encounter if you spend all this time by yourself in a van. So I will have a link in the show notes, or you can just search YouTube for it. Foresty Forest, is this the secret to long-term van life? And I you know, just a great video. I, I mean, I enjoy all of his videos, but this one I found particularly insightful and heck, I had to share it with you. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 169 and for giving me a week off. Not that you had any choice. <laughs> Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And again, special shout out to my friends at, at Rocky Mountain Star Stare. Really had a great time. I'm very appreciative for each and every one of you. If you'd like to get a hold of me for any reason, I am Jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. And until next time, remember the words of Carl Sagan, who said... The nitrogen in our DNA, the calcium in our teeth, the iron in our blood, the carbon in our apple pies were made in the interiors of collapsing stars. We are made of star stuff.